as Austin mentioned, my name is, is Warren, although I uh, was eating out lunch one day this week and the waitress said I didn't look like a Warren, I looked like a Thad. And she, was trying, she always tries to guess what people's names are and, and she missed it on mine, so she was, I guess, upset about that or something. So, but, but my name is Warren and Laura, Laura and I uh, have been a part of, of Solid Rock for almost, almost seven years now. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like it, does it? But, but it has. Um, Although I was born just a few miles up the road in, in Sedalia, Missouri, I've spent most of my life uh, living outside of the United States, uh, first as, a, as the son of, of missionary parents, and then as, as Austin mentioned, as a missionary in both Latin America and in, and in Europe. Um, so when, when Austin gave me the, the choice between speaking last Sunday or, or speaking today, and I looked at the lectionary and saw that the, the gospel reading for this morning was uh, Jesus' declaration of, of his mission in, in Luke chapter 4. Uh, the, choice was, the choice was pretty easy. And uh, for those of you that um, are going uh, or that have, that have grown up maybe going to the churches who had a lot of missionary visitors or have been to a church who had a lot of missionary visitors, you don't have to worry. I'm not going to get out the slide projector or the snake skins or anything like that. So uh, you're, you're, you're safe there. Actually, uh, as, the, as the kid who had to run the slide projector and, and wear the, the gaucho outfit to, to churches all over, all over, especially southern Missouri, I don't really want to revisit that trauma this, this morning, so, so you're, safe, you're safe as well. Um, but I do think it's interesting that, that in a city with so many churches, uh, and in a city who has a lot of uh, missions personnel that live here, U.S. based, but that have served overseas or are working in a, in a home office or something like that, that, that here, um, that Solid Rock has a, has a disproportionate amount of, of missionaries that, that, attend, that attend the church. Actually, a couple Sundays ago, I was talking with, with Kenyon. It was his first Sunday here. And he was observing that, saying, you know, I've noticed there's a lot of missionaries here. How does that affect the kind of like the flavor of the church or the direction of the church and that sort of thing? Um, and uh, I, 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 I responded, saying, I, I think that really... It, it's not that the missionaries affect the church, but that because Solid Rock is a, is a, is a missional church, is a missionary-focused church, a, a, a mission-focused church, that, that we feel comfortable here. And so that a lot of missionaries are here because that actually I, I kind of miss the using the, the old sanctuary, not so much, I, I like this one just fine, but the door over there had the, the, like the tagline on it, and you'd walk in and you'd walk out and it said Solid Rock, a missional community. I liked kind of that reminder and looking at that and, and, and reading it that way. And, and normally in, in January, in the, the past few years anyway, we, we've kind of revisited the church's DNA. Matt has always talked about uh, the different aspects of the church. And a couple years ago, he did a, a great presentation on, on mission. And it was just, for me, I remember that Sunday sitting and saying, it's, it's really nice to be part of a church that that believes that way or that it puts that emphasis on that. And so I think those of us that are uh, uh, missionaries and attend here, it, it's kind of, it works the other way than, than, than maybe what, what Kenyon was thinking about that. Um, so instead of a, a typical missionary sermon this morning, I, I, I hope to build on that foundation that, that Matt and others have laid and looking at a, a couple of attitudes necessary if we are going to really participate in, in God's mission. Uh, 
throughout Advent and, and Christmas, we celebrated the, the expectation of Jesus' arrival and his birth and the visitation of the shepherds. We also listened to, to songs and prophecies that were describing his, his mission. And during the first two Sundays of Epiphany, we've celebrated the, the, the later visit by the, the Magi and his baptism, his temptation, and his first miracle. And during, when we looked at his baptism, we heard, we heard God declare that Jesus was his son and that he was delighted with him. After being led by the Spirit into the wilderness and, and fasting for 40 days, Jesus overcame the, the three specific temptations from the devil. And on this, this third Sunday of, of Epiphany, we read as, as Jesus makes his own declaration of mission. In Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21, um, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Word about him went out throughout the whole district. He taught in their synagogues and gained a great reputation all around. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. On Sabbath, as was his regular practice, he went into the synagogue and stood up to read. They gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to tell the poor the good news. He has sent me to announce release to the prisoners and sight to the blind to see the wounded victims free, to announce the year of God's special favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Today, he began, this scripture is fulfilled in your own hearing. Here we see Jesus leaving uh, the Jordan and the wilderness and returning to Galilee where, where he was from and beginning to teach in the, in the synagogues and, and gaining a good, a good reputation. Reputation as a teacher, but I think also as a, a, as a miracle worker and uh, as a winemaker. If we place this, uh, uh, the, the, the wedding episode uh, from John's Gospel that, that Lucas spoke about last week in, in this initial part of his ministry, he, had, he gained, was gaining this reputation and eventually... He, he makes it back to his hometown of Nazareth and goes to synagogue on Saturday. And when they give him the scroll of Isaiah, he, he reads a passage, and we're not sure if he chose it or it was a, a kind of the assigned passage for that, for that Sabbath from the prophets, uh, but it's a passage that looks back not only on the Old Testament, but on Jesus' recent baptism, and it looks forward to the details of his upcoming ministry. Um, these are not just Jesus' words about himself. They are prophet's words about the Messiah that Jesus is now applying to himself. These are words that these people have heard many, many times before, but they'd never heard them applied to a kid from their little hill town. When Jesus says that today this scripture is fulfilled in your own hearing, he's declaring that this is his mission and that, this, and that his mission is also God's mission. Um, if we pay special attention to the quote from Isaiah in verses 18 and 19, the first thing we hear reminds us of, of Jesus' baptism a few pages back. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When, as Jesus says that, we, can, we automatically think back to him standing in the Jordan River. You've probably seen the, the paintings as well. And the dove descending and the Spirit coming on him and God speaking those words of, of approval. That's how he starts out. And, and why is the Spirit upon him? He goes on to say it's, it's an anointing, what we might call a, a commissioning or an empowering to bring good news to the poor. Not the powerful, not the rich, 
but to the poor, both, both materially and, and metaphorically. Yep, I, I, he was addressing or saying that his, his news was good for people that, that weren't in hard circumstances financially, but also for people who, who their poverty might have been spiritual or, or other things as well. Um, that's kind of his tagline, his, his elevator speech, saying, I'm Jesus. I've been anointed to bring good news to the poor. But, but what's that going to look like? He goes on to say that, that the Lord has, has sent me. His Spirit is upon me. He has anointed me, and he has sent me. And he says he has sent me to, twice he uses the word announce or proclaim. First, uh, to announce, release to the prisoners, sight to the blind, to set the wounded victims free, and again to announce the year of God's special favor. So he's been sent to announce or proclaim two things. First of all, release, sight, and freedom. Kind of very tangible realities, whether, whether physically, spiritually, or emotionally. When someone encounters Jesus in those ways, they're going to know that, that something had happened in their life. They were, they were very real things that, that, would, that would change them if they were released, if they were blind and, and were able to see, or if they were spiritually blind and then able to see, or if they were captive in some way, uh, especially uh, demon-possessed people that we see throughout the Gospels and that sort of thing, that those were things that, that were going to make a difference in their life. And he also says the second thing he's going to proclaim is the year of God's favor. That one's maybe not as, as easy to understand or as clear to understand until we realize that this is a, a synonymous term for, for the reign or the kingdom of God. It's one of the phrases you, Luke uses and some of the other gospel writers use other ones. Or we could even say this is the year when release and sight and freedom arrive. They're, they kind of go all together there. Reading through the gospel of Luke, we see that, that, that Luke, the author, uses this, this declaration at the synagogue in Nazareth as a guide for the reader in understanding the, the developing ministry of Jesus. Luke often summarizes Jesus' activity as preaching the good news or proclaiming, or the, the version we use talks about uh, announcing. Uh, and through that, he kind of takes the reader back to that Saturday in Nazareth, saying, see, this is what he said he was going to do. This is what he said his mission was. This is what he's doing. He's proclaiming this. He's proclaiming that just like he said he would. And when John the Baptist's disciples came and asked Jesus, are, are you the coming one or should we expect someone else? Jesus' answer takes us back to Nazareth and the scroll of Isaiah once again. In, in Luke 7, Jesus responds um, in verses 21 and 22 to John's disciples. and He says, Then and there, Jesus healed several people of diseases, plagues, and possession by unclean spirits. And he gave several blind people back their sight. Then he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, People with, with virulent skin diseases are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor hear the gospel. He's saying, why would you be looking for someone else? I'm doing what I said I was anointed and sent to do. This is what I told you I would be doing. This is the way I'm expressing who the Messiah is, and I'm doing that. Don't be looking for anybody else. This is, this is who I am. Even at the end of Luke, after his death and resurrection, Jesus is still explaining his mission to his disciples, but kind of with a different twist this time. It's not just my mission anymore. Now it's your mission as well. In Luke uh, 24 and then in, in Acts chapter 1, it, um, in our Bibles, John kind of comes between 
Luke and, and Acts, but really Luke and Acts are this two-volume set, and they kind of overlap, and to really understand, you have to kind of put them together a little bit, so we're going to read a little bit out of each one of them just to, to, to see what's going on here, but in, in, in the, the passage you can see up on the, on the screen, it says, this is what is written, and Jesus is, is talking to his disciples, the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and in his name, repentance for the forgiveness of sins must be announced to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of all this. And now in Acts. What will happen, though, is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. So Jesus' mission to proclaim release, sight, and freedom now summed up as repentance for the forgiveness of sins has been given to his disciples, his, his new community called the church. And over the centuries to, to us here in Springfield, Missouri as well. How will, we, how will we tell our city there is freedom and healing and sight and release? How are we going to tell our city that 2022 is the year of God's special favor, that his kingdom is here, it's among us? I think that's a good question, a uh, question we should be asking, but it's one I don't, I don't have an answer to. Uh, each of us, individually and, and, and together as this, as this local faith community, I think need to work on, on answering that question. But, but what I want to do this morning is to remind us of, of two attitudes, that are essential to, to participate in the mission of God. No matter what we end up doing or how we live this out, without these two perspectives as, as a foundation, nothing that, that we do can, can really line up with God's mission. I've seen them called different things or, or different names applied to them, but, but I like the way that, that Rich Velotis uh, defines them. Uh, in the fall of last year, our small group uh, went through uh, his book called Deeply, A Deeply Formed Life, and I think some of the other Small groups did as well, maybe. Um, so if some of this is familiar, that's, that, that's good. That means you were paying attention at, at small group. Uh, but he, uh, um, the, the, the two ideas or the two uh, ways of looking at this that he presents it, he, he, he talks about God with all and God for all, the two, the two concepts that, that he talks about as far as mission. The last couple chapters of his book, it's about mission. First of all, is, is God with all what he calls a missional presence? Um, he says that any notion of mission in this world must confess that God moves first. Long before we act, God has already acted. Long before we speak, God has already spoken. Long before we arrive, God has been present. The story of the Bible is the story of, of God's presence with his people. From visiting with Adam and Eve in, in, in the garden to the tabernacle in the desert and the temple in Jerusalem, God, God took the initiative to dwell among his people. Ultimately, he sent his son to live as a human and restore God's dwelling place among us. And, and finally, Revelation reveals a new heaven and a new earth where God and his people are going to be together eternally. 
the Lotus says that, that if God is present, our fundamental call is to be present as well. We have to be there. We have to show up. Uh, disagrees with our theology, I think. You know, what do we believe about God's presence? Where is he? Everywhere, right? What theologians would call, you know, omnipresence. That's where we believe God is. But many times our actions don't reflect our beliefs. Our absence sometimes seems to indicate that, that we don't really think God is everywhere. We, he, he couldn't be in the, in the mosque or, or in a bar, uh, much less at a, at, a, at a pride march or, or in an abortion clinic. Those are places that are kind of ungodly places. God doesn't go there, right? We assume that God is only present with people and in places that believe like we do. About four years ago, Laura and I spent uh, a year filling in for a colleague in Spain. The faith community there uh, started as an outreach to university ministries and or university students and then became a, a cultural center and now finally has, has more of a, a tip, typical church services as well. But, but when we were there, the, the kind of church part of that uh, was just about a year old. And while very few people attended our, our Sunday services, uh, various weekly activities were, were well attended and most of the people came several times a week and some had been coming for several years. Um, most of them would not consider themselves Christians, but definitely considered themselves part of this community that was unashamedly Christian and said so every time that people came there. Um, for us, this was a huge change. We were used to there being this invisible line that, that divided believers from unbelievers. Everyone was welcome. Any place we've ever worked, everyone was welcome. There was, there was no limitations to that. Uh, but you didn't really belong until you believed. At the center in Spain, almost everyone felt like they belonged before they believed, sometimes for years. Uh, today, there's, there's still more who belong than believe there, but, but the tide is changing and the, the church part of it is, is growing. But it was, it was a unique experience for us to, to be a part and, and be with people all week long in a, in a, in a, in a, a facility that was a mission-type facility, and they really weren't, weren't believers but built relationships with them and worked with them and, and, and saw that. Mission begins by creating a space for, for presence, a space for people to belong before they believe. We need to join God where he has gone before us instead of waiting for, for others to conform to, to our preset expectations of a godly environment. The other idea that the Lotus presents is, is God for all. It's what he terms a missional posture. And the quote that he gives here is, God is for the world, period. Possibly the best expression of, of this is found in, in the verse that is quoted probably more than any other one in John 3.16. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it again, and this is a little bit different version than maybe what we're used to. This, you see, is how much God loved the world, enough to give his only special son so that everyone who believes in him should not be lost but should share in the life of God's new age. God's posture is always for us. 
But who is us? Fellow Christians? Fellow Americans? Fellow Democrats or Republicans, depending on which side you fall? Fellow Kansas City fans? Uh, any us that doesn't extend to all people everywhere is too limited. Velotis says that mission must begin not with human fallenness, but with God's posture toward the world. Too often we establish our theology beginning with, with Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve sin, instead of in chapters 1 and 2, where God creates them and puts his image on, on humanity. God's mission is not just to correct our fall into sin, but to restore us back to his original purpose for all of humankind. Society would lead us to believe that we're either accidents of nature or, or some sort of, of demigods. And as, as N.T. Wright puts it, we are neither naked apes nor trainee angels, but humans made in the image of God. And that's where we have to start. It's the fact that, that no matter their place in history or their place in geography, every person is made in the image of God that determines our missional posture or how we see in others the, uh, see others as, as potential candidates for, for God's love and God's acceptance. Missiologists uh, explain this by breaking it down into, into three aspects of, of, of God's image in, in humankind. Things that they call it value, capacity, and significance. And the, the first time I kind of looked at this and, and, and uh, read this and, and worked through this uh, was reading some of Beth's dad's books and, and listening to him speak. But the, the idea of, of, of value in, in, every, in every human being, the idea of being made in the image of God. The first uh, aspect of that is, is value. Because we are made in God's image, each of us is the object of God's love and his desire to restore us to our original purpose. He cares no more or no less for one human than for another. And this is actually where the idea of human rights and individual freedoms originates. And I, I think it's strange that, that worldviews that, that no longer put God at the center or, or anywhere at all still value his image imprinted on humanity. Um, the second one is capacity. Because we are made in God's image, each of us has the ability to embrace God's grace and to have a relationship with him. No one is too far gone to accept God's love. We see this clearly in the, in the parable of the banquet in Luke chapter 14. When the guests who thought they, they deserved to be invited refused to attend, then the invitation went out to, to the poor and the blind and the lame. Sound familiar? Remember Jesus is quoting Isaiah back at the synagogue? Though not even expecting an invitation, these people were able to embrace the host's welcome and they were included in the family. That's the idea of, of capacity. Not only does God reach out to us in love, but all of us have the ability to respond to that. Um, the third thing is, is significance. Because we are made in God's image, each of us is designed to be a representative of the Creator. 
we are made not just to receive God's grace, but to share it as well. Many times, uh, as, as someone who was involved as, as part of a church planning team or working at a, at a new church or, or that sort of thing, uh, some of you have, have, have been involved in that kind of thing as well, as you look out over this, this new community of faith that, that God is raising up, and you're filled with amazement at what God has done in the lives of the people you see. Their value in God's eyes, their capacity to respond to his love are, are incredible yet, yet so obvious, knowing where they've come from and what they've been through and, and how God has reached out to them and how they have responded in that and to see the change in them. But sometimes that amazement fades when you realize that God is expecting you to build a church out of this group. You look at those people and you say, it's wonderful what God has done, but I know, I know what their life is like. I know what sin has done to them. I know what they've been through. How are they ever going to be leaders and pastors or children's workers or whatever we need? How, how is it going to come from, from this group of people? As, as amazing as God's work is in them, I don't see a lot of potential there. And this morning, I want to take, take that idea and kind of flip it back on ourselves as we look at not other people, but our, our own lives. It's easy to realize that our value only comes from his image stamped into us and that our capacity to love him comes from him loving us first. But how could I ever be an integral part of his mission? What can I possibly do to offer freedom or sight or release to my neighbors or the people I work with? But the truth is, each one of us is made in God's image, valuable enough for him to send his son, and for some reason I'll never understand, chosen for his mission of restoring humankind to himself. In closing, I want to share a, a couple of, of N.T. Wright quotes that I, that I read this week. Um, the first one is from an Easter sermon, and it's based on the book of, Reve of Revelation, so it's not really an epiphany sermon in, in the context. But, but as I was preparing this message, I, I read this quote, and I, I thought it, it fit quite well. And probably um, he communicates so well and I, I just love the way he uses the, the, the English language there that I, that, I, that I wanted to share it. And he's, again, he's talking in an Easter context and, and based on Revelation. He says, it is because of him, because of Jesus, that we know. We don't just hope. We know that God will wipe away all tears from all eyes. And in that knowledge, we find ourselves to be Sunday people called to live in a world of Fridays. In that knowledge, we know ourselves to be Easter people called to minister to a world full of Calvaries. In that knowledge, we find that the hand that dries our tears passes the cloth onto us and bids us follow him to go to dry one another's tears. And Kevin, if you can come. I'd like to use the, the second quote as a, 
as an invitation to share in, in, the, Lord's, in the Lord's Supper. And the minute as, as, as Austin comes, just want to invite all of you to, to come as we normally do to one of the two tables. Just come down these two center aisles and take the elements and then go back on the outside aisles to your, to your seat. But N.T. Wright says that when we celebrate the Eucharist, for those of us that aren't from high church, when we take communion, we are taking our place within God's history. God's history is the story of his mission. As you remember Christ's sacrifice through the bread that represents his broken body and the cup that represents his shed blood, just want to invite you this morning to take, to take your place in his mission as well. I invite you to come to the table.